Okay. <laughs> I want to welcome everybody here. We want to welcome you. We want to encourage you to share the stream. If you're in Miami, we want you to come out to the Jesus March. Right? Look on the website. Look on Facebook. You'll see more information for that. We want to connect with that. I want to encourage you to share the stream. We're doing a series on uh, Christmas, Light of the World. Who knows Jesus is the light of the world? Do you know that? In a hopeless, come on, yeah. In a hopeless world, he is the light of the world. There's a lot of places we can look to and there's no hope. But when you look to the Lord, there is always hope. There's a lot of places that you can look to and it's a dead end. But when you look to the Lord, he's always got a word and he always has a direction. John chapter 1, it says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. He sent light into a dark world. Jesus came to dispel the darkness that came upon mankind. When Adam sinned and separated himself from the Lord, darkness entered. Darkness came in. The Bible says that darkness even covers the earth in Isaiah 60. It says, I darkness covers the deep and deep darkness the people, but the light shall come upon you. Arise, shine, for your light has come. If the world is lost in confusion, if the world is lost in darkness, the believer never has to be. Never has to be. There should never be hopelessness in the life of a believer. Who told you that? You have Jesus. You're only as hopeless as you want to be. You have hope. Scripture says, unto Jesus Christ our hope. In all things we are more than conquerors, the Bible says. We win. We win. Jesus came to dispel the darkness in our lives, the darkness of sin. He came to get rid of it. The darkness of sin, the darkness of shame, the darkness of brokenness. The closer you get to him, the greater the light. The greater the light, the less the darkness happens. God will dispel it. It's what he does. And another area that God, Jesus wanted to dispel darkness is the darkness of fear. Fear is probably the most dominant emotion and the most common emotion that we all share. Some, will, some would call it anxiety. Some would call it different, different things. But he came to dispel the darkness of fear. Paul's addressing a church in 1 Corinthians. He says, no affliction has overtake you except that which is common to man. But God, say it with me, but God. That's right. There's an affliction, but God. There's a problem, but God. There's an issue, but Jesus, as I will say, who will not allow you to endure beyond what you are capable, but even with the adversity, he will, fight, he will provide for you a way of escape. He'll provide for you a way out. Fear is something that's common to man, you know? And I learned this stuff. You know, it's a common emotion that we all share. But I don't want what's common to man. Do you? Do you want to live common? Why should we live common when we're called to be exceptional? So if fear is common to us all, which it is, I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live a life that's common. I don't. <clears throat> we got one offering, man. One life to live. You will stand before the Lord sooner than you think. And you will answer. You will answer. He will reward you. You get eternal life, but you will answer. What did you do for me? Oh, I couldn't march in the parade, Lord. I was tired. You know, you couldn't even do that? You, could, you, couldn't, you couldn't do, could you do anything? Did, did you give a cup of water out? Did you, you know, did you do anything? Is there anything you did for me? Well, I have a shell collection here. You know, I had a killer collection of cars. You should have seen my cars, Lord. I was rolling. You know, he's not going to be interested in your cars. He's not going to be interested in your houses. He's not going to be interested in your achievements, your doctoral degrees on the wall. He's not interested in your bank account. He's, none of that stuff matters to him. As believers, our lives are called to be spent towards him. 
No matter what we do, we do it in and for him. Whether it be music, whether it be business, whether it be family, everything is in him, for him, through him, and to him. Everything, without exception. And upon that is where our lives will be measured. Perfection is not capable. You're not capable of perfection, but excellence is, we are capable of excellence. The standard of the kingdom is not perfection. The standard of the kingdom is excellence. Jesus expects you to do the best that you can with what you have in the circumstances you're in. Your best is required of you. Be holy because he's holy. We're supposed to be perfect. Yeah, how's that working? We can't be perfect. The Lord sets that standard up to show you you can't do it. And when you, when you understand that you can't do it, it's supposed to provoke the understanding that you need someone greater than yourself. So when the Lord says, be holy as I am holy, be perfect as I am perfect, he's not expecting you to be perfect. He's expected you to look and say, how's that even possible? Because you can't be perfect. And he's expecting you to realize that that need, that inability to be perfect cannot be, you can't, you're never going to be able to reconcile that. The only way you reconcile that is with the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gives you the ability to transcend those things, common things. Fear is common to all because all have fallen. All y'all feel fear. Don't want to acknowledge it, but we all suffer fear. Fear was a very common thing in this world when the light came. Four times in two chapters, the word fear not is used at the birth of Jesus. Why? Because there was a lot of fear. And the proclamation of fear being broken came even with the birth of Jesus. Man had every reason to be afraid without Christ. There was no hope in the world. Paul the Apostle even said that. He said, without Christ, you have no hope. Mankind has no hope without Jesus. There is none. Your, your bank account's not your hope. Your government is not your hope. Your ancestry is not your hope. I don't, no one, nothing is your hope. All of those things are subjected to the elements of this world, and therefore they are subject to change. I had this conversation with two people in the last week, same conversation. I said, you can build a lot of things by yourself. You can achieve great things by yourself. But the problem is, is that you will suffer inevitable losses. And if it's built in you, then you lose it. And what the Lord does is he gives you a chip. He'll get you going again. This is what happens. So you build this empire. You think you're going. You got your whole thing going on. Life happens. Boom, it's gone. And you're like, Daddy, fix it. And Daddy gives you back a chip and so gives you another start. That's what he does. But when you built it in Christ, when you build it with him, even if there's a loss, he gives it right back to you. That's different because he has ownership and partnership in what you're building. If it's built of you, then it's subject to you. If it's built in him, it's subject to him. And I got news for you. Jesus doesn't like to lose, and he doesn't lose. He gives it back to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You had something in the Lord, you lost it, he gave it right back to you. Within a year, within a very short amount of time, it took you 10 years to build this with the Lord. Something happened. Boom, I made a huge mistake, Lord. I screwed up our venture, and he brings it right back. But then you, thinking you're a genius, and you're the titan of, of whatever, you're the brainiac of family, you're the brainiac of fortune, you're the brainiac of how to live your own life, you build your life, and then you make a mistake, and you lose it, and you basically got to start from the ash heap again. You have to start from zero. Without Christ, there is no hope. There's no hope. We have the hope of eternal life. We live forever. 
You ever looked in the mirror and told yourself you're immortal? You should try it sometime. I'm immortal. I am immortal. I will not die. They who die in Christ, yet they live. I am immortal. Eternal life, 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 life. I will not die. I am immortal. And so are you. You should try that on sometime and realize you're an immortal. Realize you can't lose. It changed the way you think because that's what you are. You're immortal. Why do you fear death? No fear death. I want to live so that I have even more in immortality. All right? I'm not trying to hold on to a life. I'm trying to spend it for his glory because I'm immortal. <laughs> and I have superpowers. Don't get me started on that. In the days of Jesus' birth, there were not a lot of hope. There was not a lot of hope. And so for the Lord to come and his proclamation into the earth is that, hey, don't be afraid. Why is he saying not be afraid? Because there was a lot of fear and there was a lot of hopelessness, right? Fear not. I bring you tidings of great joy for all people. Don't be afraid. Good news. Hope all people. There's a lot of, lot of fear. What was the fear? This whole culture had woven itself. The Hebrew culture, the Jewish culture, was supposed to be and designed to be a theocracy. It was a kingdom. It was a kingdom in the earth that was designed to function under God. However, the people compromised. They didn't like that identity. So you know what they asked for? They wanted to be just like everybody else. Hmm? They wanted a king just like everybody else. This is what the church does. We want to be just like everybody else. And so we dumb ourselves down and we become average when we're called to be exceptional. We dumb ourselves down and we become common when we're supposed to ride upon the high places. And we are the excellent. We are the light of the world. We don't want to be exceptional. We want to be just like everybody else. Let's just be like everybody else. Don't stand out. Somebody told me a long time ago, he says, you talk about exceptionality, Kevin. He said, if you want to be exceptional, you need to understand you will not always be accepted. Yeah. If you want to be accepted, you will never be exceptional. Because most people don't want to be exceptional. They don't want someone breaking from the pack of commonality. And so what we think is we think, well, if I'm not accepted, then I must be doing something wrong. No, you might be doing something right. Some of the people we look back on in history that are geniuses were not accepted in their time. Now they're geniuses. But in their time, they were universally despised because they were exceptional. Just a thought. In the days of Jesus' birth, this nation was created to be a theocracy. God had created them to be run by prophets. They will be led by my voice and they will be led by my presence. And they said, nah, we don't want that. We want a king. And the Lord said, if you take a king, this king will take everything from you. He will take your sons and put them into war. He will take their, your daughters and place them in harems. He will subjugate you in every single way. He will tax you until you bleed. The Lord said that to them. And they said, we don't care. We want him anyway. And the Lord gave them what they wanted. And he gave them Saul at the beginning because Saul was an egotist. People were arrogant and egotistical, so he gave them a king just exactly like they were. Egotistical and arrogant. An unbowed king to an unbowed people. <laughs> That's another story. But this, church, this, this nation was now subjugated. 
The nation became subjugated to all of their enemies, to all of their circumstances. Say it with me. Every time they forsook the Lord, they became subject to their circumstances and to their enemies. Every single time. Try it. And here we have the Hebrew people. They are subjects to Rome. Most brutal rulers of all, that have ever lived. Romans had thought nothing of killing you. They thought nothing of killing you. Even during the birth of Jesus, during the time of Mary, one of the things probably Mary battled against was the thought that she had been raped because the Roman soldiers would rape a woman and there was no consequence for them whatsoever. You're pregnant? Oh, yeah, by who? Right? And because the Jewish culture had become religious and had become indifferent and they'd become arrogant rule keepers who had no heart or passion for the Lord, there was no passion burning in the hearts of the people when Jesus was born. How do we know? Well, the Magi came for months, right? And the priests wouldn't walk six miles. The religious leaders knew exactly where he was going to be born. The Magi had no idea where he was going to be born. So they show up and they go, where's where where the Messiah? Like, we don't know. We, we come into Jerusalem. This is the capital, right? The king's born in the capital. Isn't this true? And, he, and Herod's like, what? And he goes and gets the priests. And the priests go, oh, Bethlehem of Judea is spoken in the prophet Micah. Oh, I'm going back to bed. Indifferent. Indifferent leaders creating an indifferent culture, making the people indifferent and subjects. Created to be heirs, yet they were subjected. Indifferent. Wasn't a lot of hope. The religious system of Jesus' time didn't provide a lot of hope at all. There was no passion in the heart of, God, of the people for God. One of the things that ignites this kingdom is when passion burns in the hearts of his people. He gravitates to fire. He's a God of fire. It's what he is. You want God's presence, then tell him to set your heart on fire. He will gravitate towards it. He moves upon passion. He moves on it. Dad religion with no answers. People had no answers. They had no answers. Life was cheap. The Romans could kill them, right? They could compel you to walk a mile. If a Roman soldier saw Carmen, they'd say, here's my gear. You're, I have, by Roman law, you carry it a mile. That's where the whole extra mile came from, because they were a subject. They could take you. Wait a minute. i got to go home. My mother's sick. I don't care. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what you were doing. They could stop you at any moment of the day, and they could compel you to take whatever they handed you, and you had to walk with them a minimum of a mile. That was Roman law. Well, i, I got to go home and nurse my baby. I don't care. Pick it up or die by the sword. This is Roman law was a suppressive and oppressive culture that Jesus was born into. He was born into Bethlehem. His ministry was at the seat and the bottom of the seat of the Roman government. The Bible says it was a land that was covered in darkness. You know, we make it poetic. When they're executing your in-laws, it's not so poetic. When they're killing you for no reason, when they're raping your daughters for no reason, it's not poetic. When they're taking your sons at 13, 14, 15 years old and subjugating them into the army, it's not poetic anymore, is it? And you never see them again. That's not poetic. When they take everything from you, when you don't pay taxes to Caesar, they come, they seize all of your property, and they divide your family up and slay, enslave them all. 
You're a husband with four kids. They come. You didn't pay. Boom, take his house, take his wife, take the kids, and everyone goes into slavery. And you had no recourse at all. You had no rights unless you were a Roman citizen. Then and only then did you have rights. If you were a subjugated people, you were subjugated to them. You see why there's such hope when Jesus was born? Do you see why the announcement of good news, you see why light mattered in that time? You see why the Bible proclaims it in such boldness? We treat it as some distant, like, fairy tale thing. It wasn't distant, and it wasn't a fairy tale. It was a reality. It was a reality. Mary gave birth, and she had to travel from Bethlehem, from Nazareth. She was nine months pregnant. Do you know why? Because the Romans decreed it. They said so. Everybody will return to the place of their birth and will wait in the place of their birth until we've completed the census. Well, when do we know when the census is completed? When we say so. But I have a business in Nazareth. Too bad. I have a job in Nazareth. Too bad. I have a job in Capernaum. Too bad. My wife's pregnant and about to give birth. Too bad. You had to take your whole family and travel to the city of your birth and you had to provide for that family. So if you had four kids and you were living in Nazareth and you were born in, in, in Bethlehem, you had to take your whole family and go to Bethlehem. You had to close your business, close your job and everything, and you had to support that family and live in that city until they said they were done. You had no rights. You had no authority. You had nothing to say. You were under the boot of oppression. There wasn't a lot of hope in this time at all, at all. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of oppression. The people looked to the leaders in faith, and they had no answers because they were dead in their religion. The only religious leaders didn't know the Lord. <laughs> That's his problem. Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? You want to know what the problem is among my people? My people don't even know me. He told the Pharisees, you are ignorant of the word of God and his power. That's what he told the Sadducees. You neither know his word, you neither know the Lord's my word, nor do you know my power. It's not just the word that we need to know, it's his power. You are ignorant of the word, and you are ignorant of the power of God, and therefore the people are in want. Therefore, my people lag. Therefore, my people suffer wants and need. It's never about the leader, it's always about the people. It's, all, it's always about you. This isn't about me. This is about you. It's about God bringing it into your life and compelling you past the place where you are and commanding you to rise to the level of your birth, commanding you to see yourself no other way than as he has endowed you to be. This is what it's all about. When we make it about the leader, we've completely, we're completely wrong. It has nothing to do with the leader. If I'm the leader, I'm the chief servant. doesn't mean I don't have honor. I have honor. I have a position of honor, I have a position of authority, but I am not to exalt myself above the people. My job is to serve the people and lift them higher. And if you are, in, if you are enamored with religious leaders and you are enamored with church rock stars, you are wrong. I'm just going to tell you you are wrong. I'm not talking about honoring the person's teaching or honoring the life that they give and all of that. But if you just go, oh, I only listen to so-and-so. You know, or, you know, you're enamored with that type of thing because of the presentation that they give. It's not the right attitude, Christian. It's not. If that person is not serving you and doesn't love, we just had this conversation in a meeting. And I told him, I don't bring anybody in here that doesn't serve the people. 
Elevate doesn't exist to propagate the ministries of other men's lives. Elevate exists to propagate the mandate that is upon the life of this church. And if that person comes to this church and will not serve these people, they're not coming here. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I bring them here, right? I put them through the paces. One of the guys we're bringing back is Alejandro Arias. Because the first time he came, he comes, he said, what do you want me to do? I said, okay, I need you to run two services. And then in between the two services, I'm going to have the leaders in the back room. And I need you to prophesy over the leaders. And then I want you to hold a miracle meeting that night. He did everything without complaining. Every single thing he did without complaining. And I said, that guy's coming back. But when they come back and it's all about my book sales and, oh, pastor, I got five minutes and I got to go. You're in the wrong church. Serve these people. Honor these people. Lift these people up. Do you love me, Peter? Is that not what he said? Is that not what he said? You lead my people. You demonstrate your leadership to my people by the servitude and the level of which you will give yourself to them. That's just the way it is. In this, in this culture, there was none of that. That's why they flocked to him. They flocked to Jesus. Dead religion with no answers. It was oppression. Life was cheap. Fear was common. You never knew what was coming. <laughs> you never knew what was coming, man. That's crazy. But the central message of the kingdom is fear not. It's one of the main messages of this gospel is fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Right? There's at least 365 fear nots. That means you got one for every day. There's a fear not for every day. Man, so I want to talk to you about people and the fears that they faced. First person that faced fear was Mary. She faced the fear of public disgrace. So the same fears that you fear are the same fears that they feared. Very similar. There's nothing new about this. It says, when Mary saw this angel, she was troubled, saying, what manner of greeting is this angel speaking to me with? And the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Everybody say it with me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary says, how in the world is this going to happen since I don't know a man? Right? Great question. Mary's fear was of, Mary's, Mary had some deep concerns that were very, very real. She was probably no more than 16 years old. She's a teenage mother, right? She's, but she's engaged. She's unwed at this time, and she's going to be pregnant. There were very real social consequences. And she was part of a religious system that if you were found to be that way in that culture, in that pharisaical culture, you were outcasts. You were not to, be, not to be found in the community at all. And in extreme cases, they would kill you. <laughs> there was very real circumstances going on here for her. She had some real concerns. This not only speaks of Mary, Mary it speaks of Jesus. He bears your stigma. He comes and says, I'm born of a teenage mother. What? What, what? Right? It's one of the words that the Catholic Church uses this word stigmata. It's where we get the word stigma from, and it means to bear a wound. When there's a stigma over your life, you're carrying a wound from something. Jesus bears the wound. He bears the wound. It was the fear of people's opinion. 
So Mary's fear was of people's opinions. That was what she was dealing with. People don't live who, they don't become who they are because they fear acceptance and they fear rejection. You're more concerned with the opinion of the person next to you than you are about the only one that matters, and that's Jesus' opinion. And so we live lives of quiet desperation. We live lives of regression because we don't want to be exceptional in a world of average. We don't want to be excellent in a world of common. We don't want to stand out and be who we are in Christ, not in and of ourselves. Believe me, in you, you don't want to be who you are in you. You want to be who you are in Jesus because it's glorious, right? And so we fear other people's opinions. And the reason that we fear other people's opinions is because we really don't know that we're accepted. Say it with me. No one has the right to define me except Jesus. Say this. My circumstances do not have the right to define me. My past does not have the right to define me. My choices do not have the right to define me. I, say it with me, I have no right to define myself. The only one who has the authority to define me is Jesus. You understand that? You, 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 can, you can give other people the authority to define you. You can take the authority to yourself to define you. Or you can give the authority to the only one who has the authority, and that's Jesus. And you are sons and daughters on your worst day. In Christ, you are ambassadors. In Christ, you are heirs of this world and the one to come. In, in Christ, you are insurmountable. You are an unstoppable force. Victory is yours. Or you can subjugate yourself to the opinions of people. You can subjugate yourself to the opinions of your circumstance. You can subjugate yourself to the opinions of your choices. You can subjugate yourself to the opinions of your family or even your own self-perception. Your self-perception is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. The Bible says if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Your heart has no right to condemn you in Christ. You can let your heart exalt itself against Jesus and tell you you're a loser and tell you you're a failure, and tell you you're not loved, and tell you you're not accepted. You can let that happen, or you cannot. Jesus loves me on my worst day. He's always for me. He's for me even when I'm against me. That's what I tell myself. That's what I tell you. Why? Because you need to hear it. There's so many things and so many people and so many places speaking against you. Who speaks for you? Who speaks for you? You have to speak for you, and you speak with the Lord's authority for you. I don't speak on my own behalf. I speak on his authority. I'm a son of the highest. Who gives you that right? Jesus, 100%. I'm loved on my worst day. I'm perfectly loved. I'm perfectly accepted. Jesus doesn't always agree with my choices, right? But he never rejects me. Jesus doesn't always agree with my decisions, but he never rejects me. I am always accepted. I am accepted and I am beloved. The Bible says, if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. Some of you have been forsaken by family. doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Your father has no right to define you. Your mother has no right to define you. Don't. The only one that defines me is Jesus. I refuse. I will never lower myself beneath the standard that he has established over me. I will never allow another to lower me beneath the standard that he's established over me. I will never lower myself beneath the standard that Jesus has established over me myself. I will never do it. I'm a son of the highest, period. 
Exactly. The church has to rise to the level of her birth. We must rise to the level of our birth. One of the keys of this kingdom is the embracing of identity. <laughs> oh, we're just sinners saved by grace. <laughs> we're just friends of God. <laughs> you're a son and you're a daughter. Rise up. All of those things are true. However, they are lower standards than the higher standard. If, you want to, if all you can palate is that you're a sinner saved by grace, then keep chewing on baby food. Right? You want to be a friend of God, you'll never walk in the identity and purposes that are given to you. Until you see yourself as a son, you will never act like one. Until you see yourself as a daughter, you will never act like one. That's right. Until you see yourself as you are, then I go, I'm a son of, I don't, I'm not doing that. I'm not hanging out with that crowd. I'm not being, that crowd is not influencing me. That's not who I am. I'm royalty in the earth. <gasps> I get pastors that choke on that word. Like, well, who do you think you are? I'm the son of the highest. I'm divine royalty. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I'm a chosen generation. More so than chosen generation, I am chosen in my generation. I am chosen to be exceptional. I am chosen to be above only and not beneath. This is my heritage. What's yours? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? This is God says this, you say that, right? This is what we do. The Lord says, this is, I just, everything I just told you is scripture. Everything I just told you is the proclamation upon the life of the believer. The Lord says this and we say that. Double-minded in all our ways, we receive nothing from the Lord because we have yet to learn to say what he says about us. We have yet to learn to angle and identify and silo our lives into his identity. You're not, you're not of this world. Stop living as if you are. You're not. We live from heaven to earth. We don't live according to this world. We live from the spirit into the natural. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, having begun in the spirit, you think you can walk this faith out in the natural? Yet we do. We get born again, and we don't think we need the Holy Spirit at all. We get born again, and we don't understand on earth as it is in heaven. We're not associated with the earth unless we're associated with with heaven. This is what we are. This is what we are. This is why we struggle. Is Israel a homeborn slave? Are my people house slaves? Why do my people suffer want? For they've forsaken me. They don't know who I am. I say to you, the heirs, of the heirs, so long as they are a child, are no different than slaves. Galatians, you are heirs, but you're no different than slaves, so long as you're immature. Immature in what? Not your behavior. Immature in your understanding. Immature in your identity. Your behavior will only change when your identity changes. So long as you see yourself as this, that's what you will be. When you start seeing yourself as he sees, you become what, he, what you see. As a man thinks in his heart, come on, so is he. As you see yourself in his eyes, we see as he sees. We have the mind of Christ. We see as he sees. That changes everything. Mary was afraid of people's approval. A lot of consequences, but she yielded to it, right? Proverbs says, the fear of man will be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. It's a trap. Some of you, you live for other people. Whose opinion do you live for? Really? Who are you trying to please? You know? Do you know I offended so many people when I became a Christian? I basically burned my whole house down with my family. 
because I didn't listen to any of them anymore. I listened only to Jesus. And who do you think you are? I didn't have the language at that time to go, I'm a son of the highest. But had I had that language, I would have offended them even more and said, I'm a son of the highest. Now all my family walk with the Lord. But then they didn't. They had no understanding with me because I'm not, I'm not here to please you. I don't operate. I don't dance to your tune anymore. Jesus said, this generation is like children in the marketplace. I played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang, we sang lamenting songs, Lord, and you didn't cry. What she, what she, he's referencing to them that they, that he, they rejected Jesus because he didn't do what they wanted him to do. Yeah? God in their own image. I will not dance. I burned the whole house down. I didn't talk to my family for years. But all of a sudden, when life happened... They needed Jesus. And who's the one that had Jesus on his lips? Well, right here. Right? It's amazing how life will shift. My brother, I bless him very much. Um, he's a devout believer now. But he wasn't always. Until life happened. Yeah? Start pro proclaiming the gospel into his life. Speaking life into his circumstances. That's your voice into people's pain. Your family members will go through pain. Will you be silent when you go through pain? Some of you, you sell Jesus out for your family. Wrong answer. But they're my family. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Who are my aunts? Who are my uncles? They that hear the word of God and do it. It's not the brotherhood of, it, it's not earthly family. And it's, that offends me. You know what offended them too? And they all left Jesus because he said that. They actually walked away from Jesus because he told them, if you can't let your family go and you cannot prioritize me above them, you're not worthy of me. And they went, well, pff, well forget you, dude. And they walked away. Read the story. A lot of you, you sell out Jesus. Jesus must become your non-negotiable. Your life will constantly be, you'll be like a rat on a wheel until, you be, until Jesus becomes your non-negotiable. You'll be going round and round and round and round and wondering why nothing changes because you still negotiate with Jesus. You still negotiate Jesus away. Yeah? We negotiate him with our business, with our time, with everything. We He's not negotiable. There's a lot of things in this world that I can negotiate on, but I'm not negotiating on that. That's not happening. Yes, it's true. It's true. And you need to be the same way. This is what changes us. When we come to that point, we come to that point where he's no longer negotiable. Mary, Jesus wasn't negotiable. She said, I'm, I am the Lord's servant, whatever you say. So she said, this is probably going to cost me. It's going to cost me a lot. And it did. It did. Now, we read it like it's some fairy tale story, some children's book. Can you imagine being in that position? Having to explain to your parents, I'm pregnant, and not from Joseph. How going to Joseph and saying, I'm pregnant, it's not yours. You know, all of the confusion that going around that. And then her saying, the Holy Spirit put a baby in me. Imagine people falling out of the chair. You've got to be freaking kidding me. Come on. You, know, you want to say, who do you think you are? Who they would be saying that to her? Who do you think you are, Mary? The Holy Spirit? Oh, yeah. Right. It was an unbelievable story which there's another part to this. I'll just throw it in there for you all because Jesus loves you. The Bible says she held it close to the chest. She pondered it in her heart. She wasn't running up and down the street proclaiming it because she knew most people can't handle it. Some of you, you need to live out your identity and stop telling people what you think you are and just live it out, right? 
And she held it close to the chest. She wasn't running around telling everybody what God told her. So she pondered it in her heart. She held it close because she knew this is going to be really hard for people to accept. <laughs> and she went to her aunt's house or to her cousin Elizabeth. You know, you know the story. She goes to Elizabeth's house. She says, I'm, what's in me is of the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth goes, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. You need to be around people of faith, not people of fear. People that are bold enough to receive the bold things that God says to you. Elizabeth didn't go, now wait a minute, let me get this straight. Elizabeth was like, woo! I believe it. Right? Put faith on that. Joseph, he had a problem too. What was Joseph's fear? Joseph had a fear of making the right decision. You imagine the decision this guy's got to make? Are you kidding me? Says this is how the birth of Jesus happened. His mother Mary pledged to be married to him, became together, and she was found pregnant with the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, being a faithful man, this all sounds really poetic, right? But Joseph, being a faithful man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace. I don't want to expose her to public disgrace. Um, so he had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, everybody say it with me. An angel of the Lord. Right? Angelic visitation. <gasps> Prophetic dreams. <gasps> all over the New Testament. All over the New Testament. An angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. What's he do? He calls him to his identity. Joseph, man of faith, I need you to rise up. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth, and you are to call his name Jesus, because he's going to save the people from their sins. This took place to fulfill what God had already prophetically spoken. The virgin will conceive. They will call his name Emmanuel. When Joseph woke up, he did what the Lord told him to do. <laughs> That's so awesome. He had the fear of making the right decision. He's put in a position, and he's like, okay, do I do what the law says? The law commanded that she be put away publicly. The law commanded that she be disgraced publicly. Do I do what the law says, or do I do what my conscience is telling me, right? My conscience is saying, hey, put this person away, you know, and just try to protect her and try to, you know, do this quietly so that she doesn't get hurt. Do I do what my conscience is saying? Do I do what others are telling me to, you know? Probably had all different kinds of people telling him. All his bros, yo, that girl's no way, man. She's, you know, you need na 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 You know, he had all kinds of things being said to him. Or does he do what the Lord says? <laughs> Say it with me. When in doubt, honor the Lord. You don't know what decision to make? Honor Jesus. Right? Always make the decision that honors Jesus. If there's any question in mind, the, the decision to honor the Lord is always the right one. And any decision made in fear is always the wrong one. Say it with me. Any decision made in fear is always the wrong decision. The people of God should be fearless. And yet we are fearful. We need to wake up to what we are and stop being fearful. Stop be and become fearless. We are fearless. The righteous are bold as lions. Is a lion afraid of anything by chance? I've never seen a lion run from anything, right? Every now and then, maybe, you know, when a male, you know when a male lion runs, it's from the female lion. I have seen that. That I've seen. Oh, my God. 
It's the only one of those nature stories where the male lion is running is when the lioness comes cruising up, and she's nudging him, like, get out of the way. And he's like, oh, sorry, dear, right this way. Powerful story. <laughs> we think we have a better plan. Why don't we do what the Lord tells us to, right? So here's the thing, right? We, we, we get confused. We get afraid. We get afraid to make any decision because we don't want to make the wrong decision. Anybody with me? You don't make any decision because you don't want to make the wrong decision. You need to hear the Lord. You need to hear what he tells you and put faith on it. Well, I feel like God told me this, but I'm not really sure. Well, why aren't you sure? Because I don't know if this is the best plan. Well, did the Lord say it? Yes. Then you need to put faith on it and step out into that. Does it, did the Lord say it? Does it line up as his word? Does it honor his heart? Is it of his spirit? Yes. All of those things, yes. Then do what he said. Do what he said. Right? There are people in here, and I'm going to say people even out there, you're supposed to get married. And you don't want to get married because you're waiting for somebody else to come along. Right? You're indecisive whether it's the right decision or not. So there are decisions that are being made in your life, and you don't want to make the decision. You don't want to step into it because you're afraid. And you're afraid, well, maybe, maybe I have a better plan, or maybe there's a better opportunity coming along. If the Lord said it, do it. The second reason we don't do what God tells us is because we want guarantees. That's why. You're afraid to move because you want a guarantee. Say it with me. There is no guarantee. Jesus is the guarantee. Huh? I, I live this stuff. I walk this out. I don't look at this faith. I don't talk about this faith. I live it. Jesus is my all in all. And I sit down with him and I go, Lord, why and why will not? What is missing in me? What is dysfunctional in me that prevents me from making the decision that you are telling me to do? I've asked him that. You know what he told me? What I just told you. Some of my best stuff comes straight from him. I'm like, that's genius. I'm right. I'm going to use that on Sunday. He says, Kevin, you want guarantees. And I went, you want to know that this is going to work out before you ever step into it. And you know what he told me? There is no guarantee. I'm the guarantee. Jesus backs up what he says, Christian. He doesn't back up always what you say, but he always backs up what he says. Always. And the problem is, is he can't activate a lot of times what he said because you won't step into it. You won't go forward with what the Lord says. Or here's the other one. You keep going forward with your own plans. Do you guys, what's the, anybody here? Let's just, let's just test you out. I talked to you about kingdom and I tell you rule one of kingdom is what? Anybody? I know nothing. Remember that? You should remember that. You really should remember that. You want the king's dominion in your life? You want the power of God moving in your life? Rule one, you know nothing. So long as you know everything, so long as you got all the right ideas and you got all the right instructions, the dominion, the ruling reign of God will not impart or impact your life at all. Yeah? That's why Christians, they make a mess of their life and they think God did it. I'm like, Jesus, Jesus is within five miles of that mess. That's all you, dude. You know, you, you didn't invite him. You created the mess. And because it's dysfunctional and broken, you now blame him. You got a verse? Yes. By a man's own decision, he creates calamity. Yet his heart rages against the Lord. I absolutely got a verse. With our own actions and our own arrogance and our own ego, we create calamity. And then when it doesn't work, we blame God. That's another story. 
We think we have a better plan or we, 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 we want guarantees. There's no guarantee. You get married, there's no guarantee. You, <laughs> come on. I got some laughs on that one, right? You have kids, there's no guarantee. Anybody here got kids? You have this idea of what your child is going to be like, and they are nothing like what you thought they were going to be, right? Every now and then somebody gets the golden child, and they're like, oh, you know, this is the child we always dreamed of. But for the other 99.9% of us, you don't even know where that kid came from. You're like, really? You know, they have personality traits and interests and likes that are completely not like yours. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's true. There's no guarantee. No guarantee at all. At all. <laughs> you cannot fear to make the right decision. Ask the Lord. Have courage. That's what I told you earlier. Wisdom is not the issue. Say it with me. Wisdom is never the issue. Courage is the issue. I get people and they go, oh, pray for me for wisdom, pastor. I'm like, that's easy. Wisdom, he pours wisdom out like water, the Bible says. He's dealing it like Tic Tacs and chiclets. You want wisdom? Pow, 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 pow. He'll give you wisdom. Wisdom is in spades. But you know what's not? Courage. Hmm? People go, I want to know the will of the Lord for my life. Don't ever ask me that unless you're ready for this question. Pastor, what's the, what do you feel God's will is? Do you want to know God's will so that you can obey it? Or do you want to know God's will so that you can compare it to every other idea you have? That's the question, because that's really what we do. Well, I want to know God's will so I can compare it to my ideas. I want to know God's will so I can compare it to what I think or what I want. And if, and if what I want or what I think is better than what I feel like the Lord is telling me, well, he can just wait over there in a the corner. That's how we are. You want wisdom, God will give you wisdom. Wisdom is easy. Courage is where the courage is what's lacking. You need to not just pray for wisdom. You need to pray for the courage to step out and act upon the wisdom that God gives you. When God gives you wisdom in decision making, you want a little story of life? You know what life is? I'm going to tell you what life is. Life is a series of opening and closing doors of opportunity. That's what life is. And most people don't even acknowledge the wheel of opportunity that's turning around them. Opening and closing opportunities. And the Lord will present you and give you the wisdom and he'll tell you to step through that door and you don't have the courage to step through that door. That door of opportunity closes. And this is what you do. You, he'll give you another one, but it's not going to be that one. <gasps> this is what happens. See, this is like, here, I'll give, I'll give, I'm going to give you Christian dumb. This is how dumb we are, we are in our thinking. This is very common. The, the, the Lord will say, step through that door. The door of opportunity is there. Boom, 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 boom. Wheel of time closed. It's gone. But we get stuck in a moment waiting for that door to come back. That door has gone. You missed it. You didn't have the guts to step through the opportunity. Now God is going to bring you another one. It's not going to look like that. It'll be in the same genre. It may even be better than that one. Who knows? But it's not going to be that one. And I meet Christians who, who God provided them an opportunity 25 years ago, and they didn't take it, and they're just waiting for God to bring back that 25-year-old opportunity. It's not coming. It's over. 
There's something else coming. And what happens is they're like, oh, oh, I just want God to bring it back. And here comes another one. And you can't even pay attention because you're so fixated on what's past. It's true. You want destiny? You want courage? You want God's opportunities in your life? He's got them all the time. There's always a deal and there's always an opportunity. It's the wisdom to recognize it and it's the courage to, to risk into it. You have to risk into the opportunity. It's another misnomer of our faith. You don't want to say it with me. One of the values of the kingdom culture is it is a kingdom. Oh, you guys are, I'm losing you. Losing you like, I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know. I'm going to kind of, I'm not sure where he's going with this. Say this. One of the values of the kingdom culture, it is a kingdom of risk. That's right. That's right. Church is filled with cowards. We have pastors who preach cowardice. Don't risk. It's got to be safe for the whole family. Where is that? Textually, where is, no, seriously, where is that? It doesn't exist. My Bible tells me the cowardly go outside. God calls us and commands us into obedience, into a wise choices that are made with courage and involve risk. It involves risk. Oh, it's too risky. Oh, I don't know. It's too risky. It's too risky. Got to shut the churches down for COVID. It's too risky. But by God, I can go by the liquor store, get a fifth of Jack Daniels, go to Costco, get a new TV, stop off at, get a Cadillac, and go home and get drunk in my new car and watch freaking TV. That's not dangerous. Walmart's not dangerous. Costco's not dangerous. Oh, yeah. Cowards. Cowards. Could it be the devil doesn't want the assembly because in the assembly there's power? There's no power in Costco. There's no power in Walmart. The power's in the assembly. When the word of God goes out into the atmosphere, the atmosphere doesn't have a choice but to change. That's why you feel the effects of a preaching. It, you're feeling it and you don't even know what's happening to you. Because the word of God doesn't return void. There is power on the word. Always. And if the enemy can mute the church, which he's been trying to do for a generation, silence them, or get them talking about anything else except Jesus, we're not a social institution. We're a kingdom institution. If the world wants to burn their house down, let them burn their house down. We proclaim Christ in season and out. This is what we are. We have to awaken. We let the enemy distract us. And we start thinking, oh, this must be important. This must be important. Oh, this must be important. <laughs> it's true. I'm just saying. I don't know about y'all. You know why there was no change in Israel? Because there was no passion from the leaders. And because there was no passion, the pulpit was not on fire. Therefore, the people were a bunch of wet logs. Wesley said, you want to see a city ignite? Light the fire in the pulpit. Amen. Preach fire from the pulpit and the city will burn. Amen. Just a thought. Well, we're lambs, Pastor. We just want it safe for the whole family. This is not Jesus. We preach another Jesus. I hate to tell you. We're preaching a Jesus that's not in your Bible. 
That's not the Jesus of the scripture. That's the Jesus of my little pony in fairyland. That's Mr. Rogers. That's not Jesus. He doesn't proclaim himself that way at all. When he reveals himself, his eyes are on fire. I'm sorry. I just looked into the Lord's eyes and just weeping tenderness was coming out of his eyes. There's not one verse that says that. When you look into his eyes, his eyes are burning with flames. I heard the Lord's voice and it was just so soothing and comforting. The Bible says his voice is like the rolling of many waters. His feet are burnished bronze, which is sacrifice. He stands in the authority of his sacrifice. Out of his mouth comes a sword. Oh, out of his mouth come marshmallow bubbles and fairy dust and just all kinds of words of soothing comfort. Jesus, the man in the dress with sandals. Seriously. Seriously, we have to see ourselves for what we are, and we have to see him for who he is. He's a king. He's a lion. Unconquerable. Goes into the fight and throws it down. Exodus 17, some of y'all need to meditate on that. The Lord is a warrior and has been so from the beginning. He's a warrior. That's That's a teaching right there, man. You cannot fear to make the right decision. You have to have boldness. You have to not fear the risk. It's too risky. It's risky. It's Jesus. Of course it's going to be risky. You think he's everything safe? It's not safe. Anybody here ever obeyed the Lord and it was a risk? Anybody? Any? And you've reaped the reward of something great because you were willing to risk into it? Not risk into your own ideas. Not risk into what the cultural climate is telling you. But risking when the Lord has told you to do it. Do it. The shepherds feared sudden change. I'm going to go quick. So the shepherds didn't have a stressful job. They basically sat around and counted sheep all day, right, and night. And so they're sitting out at the campfire drinking a latte, same as it ever was, and boom, there comes the angels appearing to them. And they got afraid. They're like, whoa, this sort of takes us out of our comfort zone, doesn't it, fellas? Look at this angel up here, right? They feared sudden change. They actually had to get up from their comfort and go where they needed to be. They actually not only had to hear the voice of the angel, they had to act on it. It's not enough to hear the word of the Lord. It's not enough to even get get a prophetic word. It's not enough. You have to act on it. You have to put faith on it. Faith is, is motion, right? Belief to the point of action. That's what faith is. Jesus confronts you from the common. They're all just sitting there drinking lattes, campfire, talking about Jim's latest, you know, birth. Of, oh, Jim, yeah, didn't your Jeep have twins? Oh, that's crazy, Jim. That's crazy, you know. Angels show up. They're like, wow, that was cool. And they actually had to go and do something. Say it with me. The bridge from where I am to where I need to be is called change. You cannot fear. If you want everything to stay the same, you're not following Jesus. He doesn't leave anything the same. You can call Jesus anything you want, but you can't call him boring. He is not boring. If you see, he is always doing something. He's stirring up trouble. He's raising the dead. He's healing. He's giving instruction. He's always doing something, but he's not boring. If you want it nice and safe and comfortable, again, wrong Jesus. 
They actually had to leave their comfort zone and go forward. Herod was the false king. His fear was being found out. You cannot fear leaving your comfort zone. You cannot fear being found out. A lot of imposters and pretenders. Herod was an imposter and a pretender. He had no legal right to the throne of Israel. He was an appointee of Rome. The Magi come to him and they said, where is the one who was born king? People want to know why Herod freaked out. Because you had these Magi, you had these leaders from this other, this other culture showing up going, where's the one with the blood right? Where's the one with the legal right? We know you're the appointee, we know you're the puppet, but we've come to seek the one who has the blood right to the throne. Where is he? And Herod started tripping, and he started killing every baby under two years old. He asked him, he said, oh, um, when was this baby born that you're speaking of? And so he did the math, and he sent his soldiers into Brahma in Bethlehem, and he killed every baby under two years old. Was, it, was there hope in that world? You have a baby, the baby's, your baby's two months old, boom. Kick the door down, kill it, hand it right back to you. Happy day. Oh, what a hope. What, you know, this is the Christmas story. Jesus entering into a brutal world, a world of violence and hate, bringing hope to the hopeless. Where's the one who was born king of the Jews? Imposter. Fake one. People are afraid of being found out. We get fearful. What do you want? What do you care? We create false selves and false identities. I am what I am. You're going to get a good, bad, and ugly from me. It's just the way it is. I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm a broken person doing the best I can in the situations I'm in with the tools I have. I'm a son of the highest on my worst day. I am loved and accepted always. You know, we, we, we act magnanimously in piety above the people. Hmm, yes. Mm -hmm. We create these false personas. And when you create false personas among the church, the church begins to model false personas. It's true. Everything produces after its own kind. If you go to a vain church, 99% of the time you're going to become vain. If you go to a legalistic church, 99.9% you're, you're going to become legalistic. You go to a holiness church where everything is tight and everybody's examining each other's lives, you're going to become holy. Not in a good way. There's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. Man cannot manufacture holiness. It's impossible. If we could be holy, we would have done it long ago. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. So you want to preach holiness? Preach the Holy Spirit, and you'll have all the holiness you need. Amen. You just get the people to walk in the Spirit, and they will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Just start living in the Holy Spirit. And all that stuff's going to go right by the wayside. Zacharias, the last one, he feared disappointment, right? Oh, we have communion. Yes, last one. I am really on my last one, right? <laughs> Don't be afraid to be found out. Just let him show, let, let the Lord, the Lord accepts you. There's nothing you need to hide from him. Your incongruencies are there. So what? We all have them, right? I was in a Bible study one time. This guy's confessing all of his things in this Bible study, you know, and it was like a small men's group. And the leader, who was very magnanimous, said, this is not really the place for that. And I happened to say, <laughs> well, then where is I was not, it was not always accepted because I was exceptional, so I wasn't always accepted. So he had to pull me aside and, at the end and talk to me about that, I, how I shouldn't say that in the group and that this is not the forum for these types of things. I'm like, the guy's asking for prayer, right? The guy's saying he's confessing his brokenness, isn't it? Confess your sins one to the other and pray for one another that you might be healed. Isn't that a verse? <laughs> I'm sorry, maybe I'm missing that, you know? 
If anyone is sick among you, even sick in soul or spirit, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them be anointed with oil, and the prayer of faith will raise them up. And if they have sins, what? They'll be forgiven. There'll be a restoration process. Isn't that a verse? What am I missing, man? This is the place for that, Kevin. Gives us a bad reputation. <laughs> Zacharias was disappointed. Zacharias is John the Baptist's father, right? Zacharias stands before, he's a priest, and he would go into the order, and he would begin to honor the Lord, and they served in the, they served in the temple. And Zacharias was serving in the temple, and an angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias while he was serving in the temple. Zacharias, again, is John the Baptist's father. And the angel appears to him and says, Zacharias, say it with me, your prayers have been heard. Right? So the angel appears to him and said, what you have prayed for is about to come to pass. And he begins to explain all of this stuff to Zacharias. And Zacharias' response to him is essentially this. What proof can you provide? What proof can you provide? I'm sorry, there's an angel standing in front of me. Do we need more proof? Right? Blind eyes are healed. And Jay said, if you're Jesus, if you're the Messiah, show us a sign. I'm sorry, just healed blind eyes. I'm sorry. Is that a sign? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. And so he looks at the angel and says, what proof do you provide? You see, Zacharias probably had a lot of past failures, and it was very hard for him to believe again. Anybody with me? One person over here. Anybody with me? You ever have past It's very difficult. Most people, when they've tried and failed and tried and failed, they have a hard time doing it again. You retreat into nothingness. But sometimes God speaks, and when he speaks, his desire is to raise the dead. Right? There's a lot of reasons why what you heard or what you did or the actions that you took didn't make it. There's a lot of reasons, but I'm 100% sure it had nothing to do with the Lord. You just haven't taken the time to evaluate why it didn't work, right, from your end. You know, that's another story. And he said, and, he, and so what happens is <clears throat> past failures affect the perspective of future promises. So the, the angel's giving Zacharias a future promise, and he won't put faith on it. And he says, what proof will you provide? And Gabriel says, I am Gabriel who stand in the presence of the Lord. I have been sent here to deliver to you this good news. But you're going to be mute until this baby is born. You will have nothing more to say until you can learn to speak faith. You will have nothing more to say until you can put faith in, not, in something beyond your own belief. You will have nothing more to say until you can put faith in something beyond your own experiences. We quantify God based upon our own experiences. Your experiences are irrelevant. Well, God doesn't heal. I've never been healed. <laughs> that doesn't mean God doesn't heal. Who told you that? Right? And so Zechariah was mute until the baby was born. And when the baby was born, they used to... So when they would circumcise you, this is a happy day for all the men in the room, right? You'd get circumcised and they'd pronounce your name. So the Moyer would be sitting there holding you, you know, and he's like, His name shall be Zacharias Snip. Right? <laughs> because the name was bound by blood. It was a covenantal name. They would give a name and they would cut and there would be a blood oath made with that name. Right? That's why their names always had meaning. Like Elias, Yahweh is God. Yeah? Elohim is God. You know, that's why names had meaning back then. And so they're about to circumcise John and give his name. And he goes, his name will be, he writes on a tablet, his name will be John. And the priest looks at him and goes, there's no one in your family named John, dude. And he looks at the wife, and Zacharias goes, his name will be John. <laughs> For the love of God, I'm going to talk again. That kid's name is John. And as soon as John, as soon as they pronounced his name, the Bible says that Zacharias began to prophesy. The one who couldn't speak faith, now he's speaking faith. Huh? 
The one who couldn't sing before the Lord, now he's singing before the Lord. Are you with me? Right? Some of you have nothing to say because you can't speak faith. Right? You've given up long ago. And you speak all of the failures and all of the defeat, but you refuse to speak faith into a future unknown. You're bound yourself to a painful familiarity of a past, and you have all the excuses in the world to remain in the familiarity of a broken past. You have every excuse in the world. And until you rise up and begin to put faith on your future, nothing's changing. And I'm not talking about, I have faith. You better put faith on it. Go back and read that. Read Luke 1 and 2. You're going to see. What, read what he says. He proclaims it. Amen? Oh, I have so much more. I'm just going to give you these three things real quick. You want to overcome fear? Surrender completely to Jesus every day. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, whatever you will. Right? Just give him honor every day. I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. You do. Give me wisdom. Give me guidance. I'm with you. I don't know, you know, take nothing unto yourself. Surrender every day. Feed your faith. Starve your fears. That one should probably go to the top of the list for some of you guys. You spend so much time feeding your fears. You can't turn CNN off for a minute. You can't turn talk radio off for a minute. You can't turn that music off for a minute. You're feeding. Would say it with me. What I feed grows. What I starve dies. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Everything that comes into your heart comes out. And the Bible says the way that we guard our heart is with our eyes. We have gates. Our heart has gates. The gates of our heart are our eyes and our ears. And so what you are consuming with your eyes and what you are consuming with your ears abides in your heart. And what abides in your heart, the Bible says, every issue of your life is affected by what you allow to abide in your heart. Just a thought. Feed your faith, start your fears. Say it with me. Worship overcomes worry. That's right. Whenever I feel afraid, I whistle a happy tune. No. Whenever I feel afraid, I worship the Lord. Honor the Lord. Worship overcomes worry. Amen. So we're going to take communion. Are you happy now, Shell? Are you happy? <laughs> communion is what bonds us. It comes from the word common union. We have common union with one another. What a beautiful thing that you and I are united together as one with Jesus. Jesus has common union with you, and we have common union with one another. It's amazing. It's one of the few things that the Lord left with us that we are to participate with. Right? He gave us instructions on only a handful of things. Faith, prayer, worship, baptism, and communion. And communion is always supposed to be done in community, right? Well, I take communion with the Lord. Okay, that's cool. You can take communion with the Lord, but the, really the idea of communion is a community, right? And so Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed at a dinner party, he broke bread and he gave it to the disciples. He said, this is my body that is given for you. Every time you take of this, I want you to remember me because what I'm doing for you is no small thing. And then he took a cup from that dinner party and he blessed it. And he told them, every time you drink of this cup and you do it together, you guys can grab it. We'll just, I'll just talk as we go. You guys can make your way around. Just bring it back to the seat. Just, we'll take it together, though, please. Just hold on to it because we're going to take it together in community.
Beautiful people you are. Loved of your Father. Do you know that? Do you have any idea how special you are? You are so special to him. So special. You're all he thinks about. You know that? Jesus isn't thinking about building planets. He's thinking about you, building your life, what he's going to do with you, what he's going to give you, right? He thinks about you all the time. Everybody know when you're, when you're love drunk? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah? This is like, no, 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 no. I've been married too long, man. I've forgotten all about that. All you do is think about that person, right? Which I'll just take this opportunity to honor my wife who calls me five times during the day just to connect with me. Far more often than I do her, so. <laughs> she tells me, there's a lot of things that depend upon me, Kevin, so you better treat me right. And I'm like, you're right. You're so right. You are so right. But Jesus is love drunk about you. He would call you every, he would call you five times a day. You can talk to him morning, noon, and night. You can talk to him in the early morning, the evening, anytime. You can literally, the Lord, you ever, you ever done this? Your Lord will commune with you and worship. You can worship with him the whole day. And his presence never lifts. He never goes, hurry up. I got somewhere to go, right? He'll sit with you the whole day. He'll be with you the whole day. As long as you abide, he'll abide. As long as you are open, he's open because he loves you. And when you ask him to come, he comes immediately. That's why, Christian, the experiential power of the Holy Spirit is so relevant. You have to have the experience of, you have to know the Holy Spirit because then you know the love of God. It's through the love of God, through the Holy Spirit, we experience his love. We feel his love. We feel his compassion. We feel his kindness. We feel his power. And so Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. And he said, I want you to take this together. And every time you do, I want you to remember me because what I do for you is no small thing. Hold it up and let's just say it. This represents the body of Jesus that was given for me. It is no small thing. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. Let's hold up the cup. Say, this represents the blood of Jesus that was given for me. I believe it. I receive it. It is no small thing. Amen. We bless you. Blessed in your coming in. Blessed in your going out. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.